to make an entrance. Welcome to Canel and Bell. Danny Canel, Rajah Bell. We just saw a video of Jalen Ramsey arriving to Jacksonville Jaguars camp. Your first impression was what? Nah. All right, nah. so you don't love it either. But I like there are going to be people that are ticked off about this. No. I'm not ticked off about it. Right. I just don't think it was that well done. Right. There weren't that many people there. The thing I probably liked the least about it, did you notice anything specific to the arrival? No. Did you notice the logos? Did you notice the brand name? The Adidas? Yeah, I did. It was sponsored. Right. Like, that's what I have a problem with. It's too forced. It's too phony. Like, I get having some creativity and doing something that's fun. There are going to be a lot of people who are upset about him because he's talking about the money and he has this contract dispute. He wants a new deal with the Jaguars. It's not the best look, but I have a bigger problem with the the Boost truck, all the Adidas gear, the Adidas bags, and the Adidas t-shirt. There was Boost on the truck, too? Yes. Oh, yeah. The Boost logo. It says Boost on the side. Yeah. Um, Look, the whole money part and bragging about how much bread you got, I really could care less. Like, that's not offensive to me. I just thought it was corny. (laughs) Right. And that's why that brings into the – like, if it was a Brinks truck – right. I think it would have been a little bit funnier. And I don't know, the dude, the Barker, whatever you call the guy. He wasn't very man. good. He wasn't no, very he wasn't good. not great either. No. And you kind of have to make sure there's an audience. Yeah, it was flat. Like, you, there was <laughs> no reaction. Like, was like four people. Yeah, four people. Corny. And I get it was raining, but at some point you have to have the awareness. Maybe you're Adidas, whoever whoever put this thing together. Pull the plug on that. Pull the plug or say maybe we reevaluate and do this maybe tomorrow at a night practice when right. you come there when there's going to be some fans. Some bang for your buck. Yes, yeah. because that didn't do it for me. Um, there. I have a confession to make before we get to the heart of our show because we have a lot of training camps that are starting. Some guys are holding out. We want to get to that. The Giants quarterback situation. But I have a confession to make. Yeah. So, you've heard me talk a lot. I was back from vacation. I was going to whip myself into shape. Oh, no. Right? Been a bit of a struggle. Uh. Okay? So, Monday morning, I woke up. I was like, all right, I'm going to do a six-day fast, right? So, this was the Phil Mickelson idea. I've done it several other times. So, Monday comes, no breakfast, no lunch. Dinner time, like, let me just get a little snack. Have a smaller thing. And then I just lose it. Then I just go. So, then Tuesday, I'm like... Because then Monday, I was like, oh, I'll start Tuesday. Right. Tuesday, no breakfast. Mm. Lunch rolls around. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that lunch would be good. Uh, yeah. I had a good lunch. Like, my wife had some good leftovers from the night before. I'm like, oh, I'll push it back one more day. Now, I was this close. There are some bagels that are put out in the room next to us. I had a muffin. See, you had – I almost I wanted know. to go grab one, but I didn't. But, yeah. man, I am being tested worse. My uh discipline is being tried worse than it ever has. It's a constant struggle, man. Like, it is. <laughs> no, and, and even more – like, more specifically because, like, you probably could have eaten anything that your heart desired growing up. And you right. never picked up an ounce. Either metabolism or you were just burning it, playing a sport. So you're conditioned to just see it, eat it. Yeah. Right? It is a constant struggle for me. And bro. then now it's like – it's depressing because I'm like, I have to worry about it, first of all. And then you feel like a failure when you try to commit to something and you don't. You're like, ah, screw it. Right. Just eat it all. <laughs> and then like 
don't go work out. Like, it's just this cycle that's awful. I had a guy that I worked with one time that really was, he's one of those people that once they go all in on something, they really go all in. Like, so anything they do, they're like all All in. in. So when he, he had, he lost a lot of weight in order for him to pass on stuff like that, he would maybe take one or the stuff that was out that was potentially for him. He would like spit on it or throw it on the ground to make it so that he literally couldn't partake. I've done that. Did it work? I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I'm out to dinner and I don't, and I'm like, you know, it's portion control to some degree. Yes, and then yes. uh, like if I'm out to so dinner, like I will, I will ruin the rest of it. Put a like hair I can't in let it. Let it sit there. I will, I, I will, I spit in stuff before I put salt all over it. So like you can't. Oh, I would know, love that. I, See, I like a lot of like, salt. I'm talking about like pouring the salt. <laughs> like I have to sabotage the rest of it or I will come back and get it. All right. I might have to try that technique and I'll get back to you on that. See how that one goes. Um, training camp is opening. We're seeing a lot of guys go. We just saw Jalen Ramsey arrive to Jaguars camp. Some guys are, some guys aren't. Uh, there's a unique approach from Bobby Wagner uh, with the Seahawks. Um, but probably the biggest name that has been talking about holding out and who actually is is Melvin Gordon. Yep. So he doesn't um, report to the Chargers camp. He's former first-round pick. He's probably one of the most underrated backs in the NFL. He's been solid for them. But I don't think he approaches the status of Saquon Barkley, Todd Gurley, um, some of these other – Ezekiel perce- Elliott. Yes, perceived as top three – backs in the league and i think the chargers are taking the approach like we're gonna break off contract talks because if we're not gonna get anything done we're just wasting all of our time and they're kind of playing hardball saying we're gonna evaluate the backs we have in camp and the scary thing if you're melvin gordon is they're probably gonna look okay they're gonna look serviceable they're gonna look maybe not as good as you but it's really tough to play hardball especially at that position yeah that is the one position where you're i mean evidenced by the Le'Veon bell situation now that could be a cautionary tale for, for the Chargers because it didn't work out so great for Pittsburgh at, at the end of the day. Right. But they um, lost it back for an entire season. But see, here's where I think Le'Veon Bell was a very unique individual who took that stance. And if you're watching that, do you look at that as a, as a blueprint? I don't think you do because he waited out the whole year, right. missed out on the 14 million and he had a franchise tag. So he had, he had a lot more to lose. Melvin Gordon's contract isn't that big, but. Do you, and he didn't get the massive payday that everybody thought he would. But he's not giving up the 13, what was his franchise tag? The 13, 14 million. 14 million, right? Yeah. Like Melvin Gordon's f- forfeiting what right now? I don't know what his salary is this uh, season. It's, he's, he's still on a rookie deal. Yeah. Right? It's so, probably around eight or nine million. So there's still a significant yeah, amount of money, but it's not as much as you would think. I guess my thing would. And you're going to, it's a, it's a year of your prime that you're going to basically put in your past. When do you, when do you exercise whatever leverage you have if you're not going to do it now when you're on a roster where where they're trying to make a run at a, at a, at a championship, I guess is my, but that would be my counter to you, right? Like I, I don't, I don't know that I support him holding out because I'm, I agree with you. If you got to give up eight or nine million this year, um, while it's not the 13 or 14 Le'Veon gave up, there's still a nice chunk of money that you never make back and you're not going to hit the lottery as a running back because they're just not paying them like that. But when do you, when do you leverage your situation if you're a running back in today's NFL? Um, if, if you're not going to do it now. I don't know if you can. I mean, I, Le'Veon Bell had the thing. When you get the franchise tag and you don't want to play, I don't know. It's probably on your rookie deal before you reach that franchise tag. Right. I mean, so that would be just. If I, there's a time to do it. I just feel bad for running backs as a whole. As a whole, for sure. Because, because they I, don't have much well, leverage they won, whatsoever. They won four games without him last year, right? Yep. Like, um, you saw what happened to Todd Gurley in the Rams. Like, Todd Gurley goes out. People were talking about him as maybe one of the, like, top three backs in the league. And then CJ Anderson comes in off the street yep. and and goes over 100 yards like five games for them last year so like it's it's not a great look for running backs in general to your point I, i'm just saying if they're gonna 
if if they want to leverage a situation, there are not a whole lot of them for them to leverage, uh, and so you kind of got to try to strike while you can. I want to get a picture of this graphic that we have up because it's really good. But uh, it's hard to fathom that the third lowest paid position in the NFL is running back. I said this before. It should be Hunter, close to the highest. Running back. Yes. Kickers. It's insane uh, how how other positions that don't do half as much the work get paid that much Mama, more. Don't let your sons grow up to be running backs. No, you shouldn't. I, and if I was a kid in high school or if I had, you know, had was advising somebody yeah. to make sure you get your hands ready, be, you know, as much as you can. You yeah. asked about when you could exercise that leverage. I would say when you have one of two things, when you're carrying the workload of the offense, like Ezekiel Elliott, right? Uh, Le'Veon Bell thought he could too. The problem with Le'Veon is they still had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, I think Zeke has a little bit more leverage because Dak is still younger. Okay, even though I like him, he's not there yet, and right. this goes to well where Melvin Gordon can't. He's got a Hall of Fame quarterback there too, oh, and Philip Rivers most likely. But he's a guy who doesn't have to rely on the running game. Right, so he does feel even more um, dispensable. I have a, I have a question about this, and I think it's a yeah. good question. If you're Melvin Gordon or Jadavion Clowney or, and these guys like Trent Williams, who are guys that are holding out, are you mad that people like Julio Jones and Bobby Wagner are showing up to camp when they have contract disputes? Because you're just like, listen, we want these new contracts. There's a new CBA coming up. We want our money, but these guys are still showing up to camp. Like, shouldn't they just be in solidarity and just be like, no, we're going to hold out too? I don't think so. I think there's, it's like anything. I think there are different strokes for different folks, right? Like not everybody is going to treat it the same way. Like guys don't usually count other guys' money, right? And I think this kind of falls in that category. While like I've decided to hold out, you're not going to knock a dude for going in there and, and going to work because he's still under contract, you know? Yeah. What's I mean, there's one? no doubt to Coca's point, there would be way more leverage if you had a collective oh, group without a, without a question. But I don't think they're upset with everybody else because also contracts are very unique and they're very different. Julio Jones, who is attending camp, remember he threatened to hold out last year. They reworked his deal. They gave him a little bit more upfront. So there's right. been some good faith by the Falcons saying we're going to take care of you. So maybe he feels like, Hey, we're on a, we're on our way there. Right. Bobby Wagner took a really interesting approach because he's going to report to camp, but he said he's going to take the cautious approach, which scares me if he means I'm going to try to protect my body because you cannot play any sport trying to protect yourself worried about injury yeah. going half speed that's actually when you do get hurt um and he's he's one of these guys who wants to be the highest paid linebacker in the NFL remember he had the uh the Madden uh ratings the other day he was one of the 99s that came out which I thought was a little bit high but he is an incredible player um it's just and I actually do like the fact that he is if he goes to camp and he's just for the meetings and just for some of the individual drills and he's not going to play in the preseason games, he's not going to participate in the practices, I actually think that's a pretty good compromise to make as a player. Yeah. And I think Pete Carroll is a player-friendly coach who's been a little bit more open to ideas like that because what you don't want to have is a guy who feels alienated, feels like the team is against him. And if the Seahawks are like kind of cool with it saying, hey, we want to protect you, we're working to get something done, maybe we're not going to get it there, but we don't want to lose you. Right. We just want your participation, your leadership, your knowledge, so that you're learning with the guys, you're getting some camaraderie. That might be a compromise that you would see some guys, but the bottom line is he's not getting the money. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's what, what it all want. boils down to, yes. right? Like, if we feel like we are working towards a solution, and you want me there, and I'm, I feel comfortable, and my camp feels comfortable that we're getting closer to what we want to get done, then yeah, I come in and I'm I'm a leader and I do all the stuff that I need to do without putting my body in jeopardy and potentially losing the money, right? And that works for you and it works for me because we're getting closer to where we want to be. But if we're not making any inroads to getting that deal done, 
I don't know why you would be showing up and and giving the team anything. Yeah, really, right? I mean, that's your that's your leverage. I'm giving you nothing. It is the and it'll be interesting to see how these play out. Which teams blink? Which ones of them do? Uh, which ones do break down and give a new deal? What I always think is comical is when you see the amount of money that the players are fined. Technically, they could be. Yeah, I don't know if I can ever recall a circumstance where the player actually paid that fine. Yeah, because that would be like a deal breaker. You talk about way to to really like Melvin Gordon. Um, stands to forfeit thirty thousand per training camp day missed. So, like within a week, he's at a hundred grand. Like he's going to be at ninety grand in three days. Yeah, he could be ninety. Why grand. don't they? Why don't they? I mean, I, listen, I, I'm always I'm pro. No, I know I'm pro player. Right, hold out if you can. And but if there's a vehicle for these teams <laughs> right. to not let them do that, right? Because get in the vehicle, <laughs> like let's go. I'm finding your ass. I'm finding you every day. You're not here. It would have, but it would create so much dissension, and then you'd be like, "Forget it. I'm never playing for you again." And I think most of these guys, I think most of these teams do appreciate these players. It's just a part of negotiations and what they're trying to deal with, right. trying to figure out some way to go. Um, there's several other ones. Trent Williams has been very well documented. Um, his holdout with the training staff and some of the stuff that he's dealing with right. too. Um, but. You know, it'll be interesting to see where that happens. It, but it, I'll never, and the other thing too, where they don't get pressure from, or at least they shouldn't, is from their teammates. I mean, I had one really kind of bigger holdout, cause the first round picks always hold out. They always miss a couple days of camp as they're getting their slots right. And you always kind of know they're going to report and you really see them go. But Jamal Anderson was a running back for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I had just signed there, so I was new, but the year before they had been in the Super Bowl, and they had lost to the Denver Broncos. Right. Jamal Anderson carried that team. I think he set the record for the amount of carries in a single season. Dan Reeves rode him into the ground, right? Right. Next season comes, he doesn't report to camp, and everybody's like, man, we realize Jamal Anderson is a huge part of our team and what we need, but no one spoke out about it. Um, Dan Reeves was the head coach. He was obviously irritated by it, but you know what happened? They eventually caved, and they actually gave him a new contract. Right. And then to take it a step further... You know what happened next? I think it was week three of the season. Jamal Anderson tore his ACL. And it was it was one of those ones where everybody, you hated losing him, but we were all like good for Jamal, good yeah. for Jam, that he got his money before this happened because you never know how much he would have lost. And then one of the worst comments I think any coach has ever had, and I love Dan Reeves, but it was an awful look. He said, well, if he would have been in camp, maybe he wouldn't have had this injury. Mm. And it was a, such a bad look. And maybe there was an mm. ounce of truth in it, but you couldn't say that. Like right. it looked really petty, yeah. uh, when he made those comments. And it was just, but it's an example of well, why guys do hold out. Because yes. You won't have so many times to get yourself taken care of financially you are one, for the long term. One injury away in the NFL. Look at Alan Hearns. Like where I'm sure we're going to talk about him later, right? It took me by surprise. Like Cobb was just cut him. They gave him 12 million. Like he was a, a part of their offense last year. They broke his leg. Um, down the stretch last year, and they cut him right before training camp starts. Like that, you're one injury away. You got to get the paper when you can get it in the NFL. All right, welcome back to Canal and Bell. Danny Canal, Rajah Bell here talking some NFL football and some of the issues that are facing players. Holdouts are one of them. There was a story that came out of nowhere yesterday because I hadn't seen any rumors about this uh, or anything that had happened. But Adrian Peterson apparently is in a lot of. Debt. I was going to say trouble, but that too, uh, a ton of debt um, from some different creditors who were trying to seek repayment. Right. And it's not just like a car loan. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a massive sum of money when you look at it. So it was a five point. So Peterson is being sued for failing to pay back a five point two million dollar loan 
The Athletic reported. The Athletic had this whole long story on some of the issues that Adrian Peterson is being plagued with right now. Uh, according to The Athletic, Peterson, after interest and legal fees, owes $6.6 million to D'Angelo Vehicle Sales, who claimed he had defaulted on his loan in a lawsuit that was filed in New York. Peterson had borrowed money from the lending company to pay off other creditors, and he also must pay a combined $3 million to two other creditors. Um, just so you're not confused on this, because I was a little bit, D'Angelo Vehicle Service is not a car company. Yeah. It's like a, they mean like a vehicle to lend money. Like it's, it. it's not an actual auto. Right, right, right. They're yeah. talking about. Yep. Uh, Peterson's attorney, Chase Callahan, put out a statement and it said, quote, the truth behind Adrian Peterson's current financial situation is more than is being reported at this time. Because of ongoing legal matters, I'm unable to go into detail, but I will say this. It is yet another situation of an athlete trusting the wrong people and being taken advantage of by those he trusted. Adrian and his family look forward to sharing further details when appropriate. Um, there's obviously a lot of money that's exchanged hands. There have been some loans, some money lent. There have been some loans given. And it just looks like another case of how could you be so dumb? Yeah, I don't look, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't do that to him because this is a very, very touchy subject. It is really hard sometimes to navigate the waters of, you know, the financial institutions that say they want to protect you and mm-hmm. they want to help you, you know, um, you know, protect what you've earned, you know, and they can look you in the face and just be lying to you. Like I've been lied to. I have friends that have been lied to. Um, it happens a lot, right? And now I don't, I look, there's, there are guys that live lifestyles that aren't, uh, sustainable, right? And they wind up in a lot of debt and a lot of uh, that I'm, I, I don't really have sympathy for. Right. But in terms of someone saying to you, Hey man, look, I got you. Here's the plan. Like, and articulating a really, you know, conservative, uh, wealth preservation plan and then not executing that. Like those are, those are tricky waters and it's hard to understand who to trust. Yeah, I, I agree. I should, I shouldn't be so harsh. I, I have a little bit of a bias because there was an article written on Adrian Peterson probably four or five years ago. And it was when he was going through his stuff with his child when mm-hmm. he had abused him, but it kind of gave you a picture of the world that he lives in. He was having a 30th birthday party and they described this party as one of those outlandishly over the top. Yeah, that's different like, though. Flew in people from yep. all over the country, paid for those tickets, had like elephants brought into the party. He came in on an elephant. Like it was just one of those over the yes, top. Correct. The way they described the party, the parting gifts for everybody were like something insane, like Louis Vuitton bags yeah, for everybody that attended the party. And you're that's kidding. one of those probably so that was, unsustainable lifestyles where you're going to wind up. And that's one of the things where I looked at it and I kind of made that impact judgment. You might be 100% yeah. right. There might have been somebody told well, I don't, you. I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't we don't know. know. Right. And apparently, according to his, to- uh, his attorney, we're going to find out more details of it. Um, the one piece of advice that I got, um, when I was at this, um, thing at Wharton School of Business with the NFL put on was they kind of warned some of the players. And these were, there were about 30 NFL players that were there. And they were guys that were really interested in furthering their careers, second careers, um, building a brand outside of football. I don't want to say smarter because the guys didn't have better college degrees or anything. It was just guys that were a little bit more open minded and really were a little more careful. Right. And so they were trying to tell us how you can, best suit yourself um, for investments and other stuff. The one piece of advice they said, if it is too good to be true, probably it is. probably is. And whether it was an investment deal that Adrian Peterson bar- was borrowing money from one to give to another, whether it was a land deal, whether it was a carp, whatever it was that he was using this money, it sounds like it was one of those instances where it was too big, too good to be true. Yeah. And now he's come to the harsh reality of, uh-oh, 
I've got to pay these back. And that's who knows? Tough. Maybe it's a totally frivolous lawsuit. Maybe it's something that he has found himself in, and it, and I hope that's the case. Right. Hopefully he's able to fight it. But his attorney doesn't exactly give you the best feeling of, okay, you know, here he's going to be okay. Right. right? It doesn't right. give you that um, type of, of source. Um, yeah, uh, Coca found this article that I was talking about. So Adrian, this is actually, I hadn't seen this. Adrian Peterson borrowed. $5.2 million in 2016 to pay off lenders a year after throwing a wild camel python 12-foot ice bar 30th birthday party. <laughs> he still lives in a seven-bedroom, 13-bath house, and lenders want paid. Yeah. You know, so when you do some of that stuff, you put it out oh. there. Um, we had a guy at, on the New York Giants, a safety, was making $2 million a year, and he had a car repossessed from the parking lot. Like, guys, just sometimes... You aren't aware of tax implication, yeah. bills, what, you know, how easy it is to borrow and the interest rates, which you have to pay back on. Oh, sure. It's really easy to, you know, just all of a sudden find yourself in, man, I, I make a lot of money, but whoa, I didn't realize I was spending this much. Yeah. That's a very easy thing. <laughs> that's a very easy thing to do. I was making a minimum in Philly and, and, uh, I mean, I was fortunate enough that I, 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 I didn't blow through it all, but you quickly look in the bank and you're like, what? Like that's. That's not what I thought I, I had in there. You know what I mean? Because you're living a lifestyle, but um, you got to pay an agent. Maybe, yeah, yeah, you got you got to yeah. pay. You got to pay taxes. A lot of stuff. Got to pay property taxes. Yeah. Like you got to pay income tax. Like there's a lot of a laundry list of things you have to end up paying. It, Some people hire a nutritionist because they say, oh, every. Uh, and then dude. there is a very much a real keeping up with the Joneses. Oh. Maybe Adrian Peterson is watching NBA players. Well, he sounds like he was the Joneses. Like, people are probably <laughs> trying to keep he up with him. The he was the standard as right. Jones. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always interesting. I, I always say this, and I, it's not really an excuse. I don't mean it to be because once you get somewhere, even if you have never really been exposed to to where you are now, you should probably educate yourself to this, this new water that you're in and kind of acclimate and, and try to protect yourself. But a lot of guys that wind up you know, playing in the NBA, in the NFL, for one reason or another, they don't ever really come from money. Right. So, you know, you haven't been taught by your family how to protect your money um, and how to invest your money and what you should do with your money, what becomes important and sustainable to do with your money, right? And so mm -hmm. you wind up sitting there like, I'm the first person in my family ever to have money. I don't really know what to do with it, so let's do whatever I want to do with it, you know? And yep. it's not an excuse. It's just a reality sometimes. And so you see guys like... First thing they go out and do on a, on a two million dollar deal buy a Rolls Royce. Right, You're like what? Right, like, you can no, no, no. That's, third of because yes, after taxes it's probably going to be one million. Yeah, it's going to cost three hundred to get the ride. And Correct. So a third of your money you've spent on a car. On, on a that's car. Kind of and it happens all the time. And yep. it's just because the, you know it's it's for lack of a better way to put it, it's ignorance. Like you just don't know. You haven't been you haven't been raised in that environment to understand how far a dollar goes. Um, you know, at at that scale. The thing that's kind of unique about this case specifically is most players have financial issues after they're done playing. Yeah. And I guess that's the one good thing is maybe Adrian Peterson, he's going to make five million bucks this year. He can recoup some of that, start paying it off as fast as he can. Yeah. Because most of the guys have their problems when their earning potential is far behind them. But Adrian Peterson's getting older fast. Yeah. Like he, he's made a hundred million in his career. That's a lot. So of hopefully there's some dough set aside that sure. he can cash out and get rid of this because the interest rates on some of these things are absolutely out of control. Outrageous. I've seen there, there are predatory lenders too, which are a major problem in our society all across the board, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons we found ourselves in a financial collapse is because they they were targeting lower income people saying, Hey, we can, you can buy a house. We'll let you borrow. Yeah. But then they hit them with an interest rate or as soon as they miss one payment, like there's an escalation. In yeah. There. And I've seen that firsthand with these predatory lenders coming after guys because of the lawsuit involved with the NFL, the CTE stuff and all the you know, potential disability cases that could be taking place. 
companies will come and they say, well, yeah, if you qualify, for the, you have the symptoms of CTE, we'll let you borrow a million dollars because we know you're going to get it eventually. Right. I've had those those people approach me. Oh, wow. That's... And I'm like, and then you look at the interest rates, like 27%. No thanks. And there's no guarantee you're going to get that CTE payout right. or whatever it is or how long it's going to take. Like it's it's, but it's really tempting, especially if you're somebody who's been out of the NFL for ten years and you need a quick inflow of cash. And you're like, oh, I get a million dollars up front. Right. Sign me up, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a massive uh, pool of debt there. When it's all done, then the ir- uh, said and done. The irony of all of this is, I guess the NFLPA ha- is putting out like memos to all the players right now, warning them of a um, a potential work stoppage. And again, they're taking advantage of players out there. Uh, companies are saying, if there's a work stoppage, we'll help you with your mortgage. Ugh. You know, like it's just yeah. there are people that are always looking uh, at how to take advantage of people with some money. It's kind of an unfortunate case, and we'll keep you uh, up to date on that as Adrian Peterson more details come out. Uh, one of the most unfortunate things that I see happen this time of year is when you have guys who spend their entire offseason training, going to OTAs, building relationships, studying playbooks, and before they even get a chance to step on the field in training camp, they get axed. <laughs> That's happened to a couple guys. You mentioned Alan Hearns. Yep. Mason Foster, veteran linebacker, was one of the you know really critical key veterans on that team, uh, was cut – just a day before the camp, uh, players reported, uh, scheduled to report. It's a brutal reality of the business side of the NFL because there are salary cap implications for this. You, what, what, were they just popped up? No, they didn't just top, pop up. Well, that's what I mean. Like, so the thing, and this is where players, and this is where Alan Hearns came out and he expressed some frustration. You said it. Uh, he was asked about him getting released just, um, yesterday. He said, I'm good. I just wish they did this earlier. They asked me for a pay cut Monday, a couple days before camp. Typically there is a date. June I don't even know what that means. Do you know how foreign that is for me as an, it's an unheard of. player? Because your money what is guaranteed. You about? That's because your money is guaranteed. Pay four, cut, you would laugh in their face. Four days before camp, you're going to come <laughs> to somebody and ask him to take a pay cut. Hey, what do you think? There are so many things about this that you have that are interesting because you're not used to having to take a pay cut. Like, pay what, cut? Are what are you about? talking about? And the fact that they would approach you days before camp. Those are things you're unheard of. That's uncharted territory for you. I was asked to do the same thing with the Denver Broncos. I took the pay cut and still got cut. Oh. <laughs> so, like, you talk about a rough spot to be in. Burn that building down. <laughs> right? I, mean, I was looking at a million dollars. They, and it was, it was more than minimum. Minimum time was 700. I, fought, I really would have fought somebody. Like, I would have lost, I would have fought somebody. You took the pay cut. I took the pay cut because I, I knew full, I was fully aware, like, hey, I'm on the bubble. Yeah, let me take And it. if they're going to make me a cap casualty, let me put myself in the best position. 700 grand is still a really nice payday. It's a nice salary. Right. I'll go ahead and take it. So I'd be, play the role of nice guy, team player, and three weeks later I get cut anyway. Oh. Like, oh man, that, you talk about living. I fought everybody who ever said anything about <laughs> right. some pay cut. So that was Alan Hearns. He said, what, what was it to do with yesterday? So the thing where it gets petty is there is an advantage to waiting until June 1st because the cap savings for that year is the player's base salary while the player, it's some legal jargon, but June 1st is a date where if the team waits that long, so you don't cut them right after the, the previous right. season, you wait until June 1st, there's a cap savings uh, for your cap. The problem is teams kind of hold you on. Maybe they float you out there. They see how you're looking, but they kind of know in their back of their minds they're going to cut you. Right. But they also know if they wait till the last minute and cut you, it's going to be harder for you to get signed by somebody else. Yeah, you might be able to get your You might team. be able to come back and say, oh, yeah, remember you didn't want to take a pay cut. Now you're cut. 
Yeah. Would you want to come back for that pay cut now? That's, and it puts guys in a really precarious position. That's all the and way it grimy. Sucks. That's yes. all the way grimy. It's dirty. I want to re- talk about getting let, done right, dirty. Can we go? Let's go back to the A block. Yeah. When we were talking about people holding out and, and I support anything an NFL player does and change my stance. So we don't have to have this <laughs> conversation ever again on Canel and Bell. Right. Anything an NFL player does. Yep. That it, it, to help leverage his situation to get money, do it. I will never criticize it again if I do stop me. Yep. Anything I, I, you an never NFL player does to make some money or guarantee himself some money, do it, and I support it. Not that you care, but I support it because that's trash. Well, uh Ross Tucker, uh, who does a great job, he's a, a broadcaster, he's a former NFL player. He had a great tweet about it, and it's regarding specifically what you're talking about. Squeeze the take pay cut on Monday before camp, check. Cut on Tuesday before camp, check. One year and do multi-year contract check. That's when Alan Hurts was cut after breaking leg playing for them in the yeah. playoffs in January check. And then he said, but please tell me again about players needing to quote honor their contracts. Cause that's what fans say. Correct. Oh, you know, you're hurting the team. You're beat doing it. all these types of things. Beat it. Absolutely beat it. Uh, when you're talking about that conversation, um, Coco, what were you trying to say in my ear? I was at, Oh, so another one, the Packers, um, explored Mike Daniels cut. The Packers explored a trade of Mike Daniels, uh, Mike Daniels, but couldn't make it happen. He was due 8.1 million this season in base salary and roster bonuses, um, gets axed because of that. Like, so they'll wait around. They'll try to hold on to you until the last minute. Dude, NFL money is like monopoly money. It's like not, not real. real money. Exactly. It is fake funny money. The only thing that you have on your side is guaranteed signing bonus money. I know this isn't, and even that they'll use some of that as leverage when the back end of the contract still has years left on it. As an NBA, we live in two different worlds. Like as an, no, we definitely do. No, no, no. I mean, like I am, I am as I'm planning out my life. Like I'm like, okay, I have, you know, this is money. I'm this is my money. I'm gonna have that. And I could not imagine a situation where I'm owed eight point one million dollars, and maybe I've said to myself, hey, I could do this because I got eight point one on the table next year. No, we're good. Like sin, we're good. Let's we're gonna take that trip. We're gonna do this. Like the kid needs that. Like do what you gotta do because I planned around that. Buy the second house, whatever it is. And now you're telling me I'm not. I hey, you gotta save a couple bucks. I can't make the. And that's why you have players that have creditors after their money because they make those decisions based on the money at the end of the contract, which a lot of times they don't see. And that's why they find themselves in a world of hurt. Definitely an unfortunate situation. It's not going to change anytime soon unless the players take a stronger stance in these rounds of solidarity, baby. They need to do it. All right. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Uh, we were talking a lot during the season about Zion Williamson when he blew out his shoe, uh, playing at Duke what it would mean for the shoe companies and how Nike would have to make sure that they locked him up and yep. he had all this leverage. Um, he made his announcement yesterday. Something everyone was watching in. Yeah. You know, every single shoe company probably threw a massive contract at him. He decides to go with Jordan Brand. I loved it. My instant reaction was, this is awesome. Yeah. Like you're following in the footsteps of Michael Jordan. But you don't love it. Like I see it on your face. I don't. I'm curious. I don't why. hate it. Like I always envied brand Jordan athletes. I want to be a brand Jordan because it athlete. is a it is a pretty I'd, exclusive yeah, group. Yeah, and I love for all of those reasons. I think it's great. And you can't really, you know, it's MJ, dude. Like I'll always revere MJ. I, I just think for him, if you know, if his ceiling is, I don't know, this mega star that we've made him out to be, and he is going to like be. You know, LeBron-ish or MJ-ish one day as an NBA player. When you go to brand Jordan, like, you're never really going to have – like, you'll have a signature Jordan, but it's still right. Jordan. Jordan. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like Russell Westbrook. Yeah. If you go to, like, Nike, Adidas, Puma even, 
Like you've got a your own shoe, like a Kyrie or a or a Greek Freak. I just I, but those I, are still Nikes. They're Nikes, but they're not Jordan. Like Jordan is <laughs> right. Jordan is is a shoe brand. It, it, Jordan is a signature shoe. Now I know it's its own brand within Nike. Now I just how many of these guys have had a like a a a, a, a highly purchased successful signature Jordan shoe? I don't think any of them. I didn't, was D Wade a Jordan guy? Yeah. Before his yeah, Jordan company? Yeah. He had a Jordan shoe. It was a, it had a strap across the front. And I mean, I forgot about My that. kids had them, but like they weren't a, it wasn't a huge hit of a shoe. Like Nike. None of them have been massively successful. Nike puts out hits, bro. Right. Like I don't even think Adidas, like the D Rose was a little like the, the Donovan Mitchell spider. I ain't throwing shade. They're not big. You know who has, you know who has the best selling Jordan are, brand? You know who the best selling Jordan brand shoe probably is? Hellos? No, Travis Scott. Like his Travis Scotts are like the Jordan ones. They don't count. Which I was sporting no, yesterday. They don't count. They don't but count. they might, they might sell more than Russell Westbrook's. They may. And you know, so like, that's which my is, point. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what I was kind of saying. Like I think, I think, you know, I don't hate it. Like dude, if you can align with MJ and you know, your brands are, you, would you have taken less? Because, uh, it's been reported that he signed seven years, $75 million deal. And if supposedly he was offered more money by other shoe companies and he said he wanted Jordan brand. Michael Jordan had a quote, said Zion Williamson, he told us he would quote shock the world and asked us to believe in him. We do, said Michael Jordan. Oh, see again, all right, good for you, MJ. Good for you, Zion. Right. How the hell is he gonna shock the world? Right. So what can he do? Right. Like everybody already says he's like the the best thing to ever happen to the NBA since like LeBron. What could he do that would shock the world. I'm asking you. I'm not even being like. I think there's. I think. He, I think there are a lot of skeptics. I think for him to shock the world, he would have to be the next LeBron, which is the massive expectation. I think that would shock the world. You think? Because I, I mean, he's projected as that, so I don't know that that's shocking anyone. Like, what would, <laughs> that's I, I, true. What would you do? He's I, the next MJ. I, he may. Okay. So no, there's, there really is nothing. I mean, maybe can you change the game? Maybe he plays a more physical style, but there's nobody really that's done things we haven't seen before. Right. You do it a little bit uniquely. Um, he joined some of the other guys he's joining now, Jason Tatum, uh, WNBA players, Asia Durr and Kia Nurse. Okay. And NFL rookie quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Like Haskins, I wasn't even aware. Well, that's the pretty with Jordan Brady. Yeah. yeah. It's really good for him. They've made a big push into football too. Yeah. They have, and they should. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing I don't think that you have a Jordan brand, I don't like to use the word scrubs, but if you're an NFL player, you're coming out, you can get a contract from Nike. Yeah, you can get one from Adidas. Yeah. You can get one from any of the shoe players. I don't know if Jordan brand just gives those kind of, Average, yeah. like, hey, you're going to I will your- answer that question for you. They do not. Right. Which like, makes them a little very, bit more very exclusive. exclusive and selective about who they take. To your point, same in the NBA. You say you want to wear Nike, they'll give you some boilerplate, like, you know, agreement. They'll throw you a little bit of product. Anybody can get shoes. it. Anybody like, can get it. The 12th right. man, 13th man on the roster can possibly get that. You're, like, you're not getting into Club Jordan. The one question Coca just asked to us, and I am not sure of the answer, uh, is did Jordan brand and Nike bid against one another because i actually saw somebody quote say nike couldn't let him out and i'm like well he's not wearing a nike swoosh he's wearing the jordan brand right because of the shoe blowout and i i i feel like they are two competing companies now they it's probably a healthy competition they're all connected but i do think for nike he is going to be seen as a jordan brand like i was curious and we were asking this but between the break like if because you know we have those contracts with shoe companies like if right. they see you wearing any of the other brand they're going to yeah. y- yank away your contract if I, for instance, if you were a Nike guy and you had an Adidas hat or you said some old school that's Stan a, no, Smith, that's no. they would have a heart attack. That's a no. If Zion is wearing a Nike swoosh, is Jordan brand upset? Are they saying, hey, you're a Jordan brand, not I a Nike th- guy? I think it depends on where he's at. 
right. um, and and how often he's doing that. Like you know <laughs> right. what I mean? If he's caught, I, and it's I was probably not that Russell Westbrook in his pregame stuff, he'll wear Nikes and Converse, and they're oh, that's owned true. by their own. Their own, right? Nike. They're all one company, right? Like, right. but they're not going to want you showing up to press conferences with the Nike swoosh instead of the Jordan logo, right? You know what I mean? Like right. when it's time to bring, they don't want you playing on the court. They want you in your Jordans. Nikes. But I think because it's the same company, like if he's running around in Nike. You know, uh, uh, you know, sweat, sweatsuit or something like that. Probably, be right? Good. But they're gonna flood him with like so much gear. There won't be any reason <laughs> right, exactly. for him ever being anything. Nike there would be zero like, reason. I think right. the question now becomes: Does he get his shoe, his own shoe? Now, yeah, and I think we, he does. Debated that before. I think he does. He probably, he probably will. He probably will. To answer your previous Arizona. question, what do they what? call Russ's shoes? Do you know? Or are they just a Jordan? Ugly. No, aren't they like 35 or something? Aren't they just like the newest Jordan? They are awful. They look comfy. I am a Russell that. Westbrook and a Jordan fan, and I'm saying this <laughs> like and with no shame. Those things are terrible looking, all right? So do better with Zions. That's what I'm going to ask you, MJ. Do better with Zions if you could put an Air Zion out there. And I would have taken less money um, to sign with a Nike or a Jordan. Um, I hope he gets a better name than the Westbrooks. The Why Nots? That's what they're called, the Why Nots? That might be the worst name of any shoe except for D-Wade's, the Way of Wade's. Well, they're like combat <laughs> are awful. Way of Wade's. They're all awful. Like, can't we? Just Air Jordan was one of the best. Just come out, call them the Kyrie's, call them the Katie's, yeah. call, call them the PG-3's, whatever oh, you call them. Freaks are phenomenal. Yeah, they that's, are. and that's they a good really, name for yeah. them, too. One guy got on. Don't worry about it. Keep your chin up. Thanks for playing. See you next week. This is what. You see that right there? The disappointment that we have to learn to live with. Losing is so important as a kid because if you always get everything, then when you get older, you don't know how to deal with it when you don't get what you want. So I love to see when they lose as, as young people. Because it makes them want to fight harder. It makes them want to try. It makes them want to practice. And just playing games like this, competing for my boys, is what the only thing that I'm concerned with. Because that's what ultimately is going to make them successful. I love it. Ray Allen, we love talking about our kids, raising them, kind of different uh, issues we all deal with. Ray Allen there, uh, his kid's playing a game of knockout yeah. out in the hoop right there. And he was talking specifically about losing. I see it all the time. with my. Th- I think it's hardest when they're playing against each other. Yeah, sure. It's just, it hurts them worse. There's yeah. a sibling rivalry that takes place. But as far as this point, it's an outstanding point on having to learn how to lose. Too many parents try to take any obstacles out of the way. Yeah. Try to, you know, even use, I see cheating all the time at youth sports to make it easier on their kid to win. It's okay to lose. Teach them how to deal with it. Teach them adversity and how to overcome those things. It's not, I look, no one likes to lose, but it's really, really, it's valuable. Like you have to, not only because you need to learn how to lose, but you need to learn how to, you know, overcome obstacles and fight for what you want and how to motivate yourself, right? And look at something and say, man, I'm not good enough right now. Like too many people can't self-evaluate, come to the realization, I'm not better than him. I'm not. He just beat me. But if I can be better than him, if I work to get better than him, Ray and I had this talk when we talked about it on air when he and I were in the gym together. And we spent about 20 minutes after the workout. His oldest son in that video was playing with the men that day. He's trying to get his feet under him and he was getting pushed around a little bit and stuff. But we talked about our kids specifically and the need for them to face real obstacles, uh, not necessarily in life right now, but, uh, you know, in terms of 
their sporting environments to understand, you know, what it was kind of like for us to grow up because they're protected to some degree. You know, they, they, they're not in the, 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 you know, on the parks every day having to fend for themselves and play against grown men. They're in protected environments. And so, um, I support that 100%. My middle son, he gets it honestly because he's got to go up against his big brother and he kicks his tail whenever he, and he, and, and loves to do it and we'll talk to him and, beat him down and have him cry. My older son, I have to take out to play with men now. Like, I don't want him playing with his friends all the time who, you know, a lot of them he's better than. I want him playing with men because I need him to know, like, what it's like to be the little dude, what it's like, you know, to get knocked down and have a bloody lip and nobody give a damn. And you got to get your little behind up and you got to check that ball right back up and keep it going. And if they don't look, not everybody has to be bred like that, but if you want to play a sport, um, you know, competitively, you certainly got to do that. And it transcends sport. Those are life lessons. Like you have to get up in a workforce. If you get fired, dust yourself off and get right back, right back out there on the grind, trying to find something. And you, you know, those are real valuable lessons that you can take away from sports. And you alluded to it. Um, You've had a very successful career. You and Ray Allen made a lot of money. Like your kids don't have a lot of wants. Oh, they, right? they, they get everything they want. And my, my kids are the same way. Right. And I feel like they're spoiled sometimes. And Joe Rogan, I know Coco, cause we talk a lot about Joe Rogan's podcast a lot. Uh, he said a lot about find me a great man who came from a great, great man. His, his point being like a lot of times the hunger and drive that's developed comes from kids who don't have it all because right. it has to come from somewhere where if you are handed everything, as you're growing up, you just come complacent. That's what you get used to. So the minute you get out in the real world, you don't know what to do. And it completely catches you off guard. And it's something I deal with my daughters all yeah. the time. Because it's nice to be able to give them everything they want. It's You feel, you love them. You want to provide for them. Right. It's great seeing their smiles light up when you give them nice things. But sometimes they just feel like all they have to do is be who they are. Right. You have to work to Gotta be work. who you are. You have to work to obtain nicer things or work to achieve certain things. And that's a really hard lesson to have when you almost have to forge that in them. And that's one of the ways oh, to do it is through sports. This is an argument that I have with, with my wife, to some degree, my mom and dad, um, about how hard I am on my boys when it comes to sports, specifically basketball. Um, I, I, my parents my, were teachers. Um, we were middle class, like, you know, I, but I didn't have a lot. Um, I had a hunger. Now I didn't have, I might not have had a hunger like someone else did, but I had a hunger. There were wants that I had. There were things that I wanted that I couldn't have. There were, you know, people that I'd look at that were better than me on courts and I, I had an innate hunger to try to do that. My boys don't. They're really good little athletes because their mommy was a good athlete too. And so, you know, they're kind of top of the food chain athletically right now. They've got all the stuff they want. And so I, I say to my mom and my, uh, and my wife, like, look, my job is to knock them down a peg. And I know like, a parent's job isn't to just, you know, beat their kid up. So I love them up. Right. But when I get them out there, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta knock them down. I gotta beat them up a little bit. I gotta get them to understand. And I have the conversations like, look, dude, this is your world. That's, that's not that guy's world. And he's looking at your world and he wants your world. Mm -hmm. The same way I looked at that kid's world and I wanted his world. And that fueled me. I was like, so you're sitting around here, you know, playing your little Xbox and doing what you do. And that kid is looking at your life saying, damn, that would be really cool. I was like, and when you come up against him, 
right? If you haven't worked your tail off and if you don't understand what that hunger is like, you'll have no chance against him. So my job is to get your little behind out here and, and get you to breathe some fire. Put some gunpowder in your cereal, brother. Put Strap your stuff up. We're going to work. And, you know, moms don't love it. Right. That's my job. A lot of parents, I would say not only moms, moms and dads across the country don't love it. They don't like hearing that message. Again, they want to take any obstacle out of their child's way as opposed to letting them fight through that. The whole, you know, participation trophy thing comes into play. Right. Like that makes no sense to me whatsoever where you would just reward everybody just for showing up because that's not a realistic expectation of what life is going to be like. Right. You don't get a job just from showing up. You have to perform on the job. If not, somebody's going to do it better from you. You know, I've had, you know, I've had moms. I'm sorry to, I've, no, I've uh, had, like, oh, we have a pretty good little, uh, sixth grade team. We're good. Yep. I've had moms on other teams come over and say to like, and dads too, like, uh, to like our parents, um, can we get you guys to take out some of your bigger kids? <laughs> you're like, what, what, what why? Right. Well, your kids are a lot taller than our kids. I'm like, they're the same age. No, I'm not taking out any, I'm not. What do you mean? That doesn't even make, you're, you're out here on a competitive travel basketball circuit. We're playing you and you want me to take out my bigger kids. Like, what are you teaching your son? What are right. you teaching him? And no, I'm not. Thank you very much. Go sit down. <laughs> right. I had an instance where I told you I took a coach, my daughter's fifth and sixth grade basketball team. We were bad. Yeah. We only practiced one hour a week. And I knew some of the other practices, other teams were practicing. I had a couple of parents come up to me and they were like, Hey, I think we should do this differently strategically in the games. Like I, we're not doing enough of this. And I'm like, when do you want me to do that? And yet they would complain if I said, let's have another practice right. on another night of the week. We can't do that. You don't just show up and be right. good from one hour of practice. You have to put the work in behind it, which is probably the most valuable lesson to losing. And it's some of the hardest because it doesn't, you don't see instant gratification, which is what our youth is used to seeing. Yeah. They're used to getting things quickly. That's Sometimes true. in order to get better and to actually win a game, you have to practice it's a process. months, yeah. maybe sometimes years to get to the point you want to go to. And unfortunately, too many kids and too many people just quit and they give up before they push through and get to that point. So if there are some absolutely valuable lessons you can learn from those. And Ray Allen, the video went viral, yeah. and what always amazes me is everybody agrees with Ray Allen, and yet we don't see it implemented enough in our society. Yeah. Too many people still coddle uh, youth and youth oh. sports and all these other types of situations. So uh, good for Ray Allen for getting out there. It was a fun conversation. I know what uh, it means to our kids uh, as well. Uh, what are we teasing today? We're not robot umps. We're no, I'm not here <laughs> I don't tomorrow. Want to go I'm teasing the AAU National out. Championship, baby. Oh, good Boo luck Williams. in the tournament. Thank you. Good luck in the tournament. David Sampson fills in for Raja tomorrow. Oh, Sampson? Yeah. <laughs> Some baseball talk. We're going deep. See you tomorrow.